Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blood on the Rocks. I'm your host, Akshay Taylor, and today I'm joined by Gemma Brigman. Yep, yeah, that's right. Hi. I got it right. I, yeah, you did. I, I was like, there's a 50% chance that the setting's wrong, but... No, seriously. You did You did all right. <laughs> Most people call me Bridgman. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm a final year undergrad at UOB. I'm also the vice president of the University of Birmingham LARP Society. I'm just picking up LARPers. Yeah, you, we... Actually, no, we're expanding. Yeah. Like vampires, we just keep finding new and new members. Like, this um, is actually the third week in a row of LARPers, my guess. Really? Excellent. From the same group. I'm so proud. I'm so <laughs> proud of all of my small children. Um, yes. So yeah, we meet up every Friday and pretend to be vampires for three hours. It's great. You should all come along. Anyway, so, what are you going to be talking about today? I'm probably going to be talking about vampires. <laughs> I am a self-proclaimed vampire expert. I'm currently in the middle of writing a 12,000 word dissertation on Dracula. Um, and I just think vampires are fascinating mythological creatures, and I know quite a lot about them by this point in my life. So, excellent. That sounds like that sounds like it's gonna be fun. <laughs> and I'm going to be talking about the Kariba Dam. So in this we get, a, yeah, so we get both a disaster and some folklore. Excellent. At the same time. Wonderful. So, what are you drinking today? Today I am drinking. So this has got a story behind it. I'm drinking a bottle of Lady Chastity's Reserve. That's a strong um, name. Yeah, great name. I went. I was in London and for my birthday in January and we went to this really cool escape room called Lady Chastity's Reserve and it had this it's a really cool very spooky I feel like your listeners would love it um, escape room where instead of attempting to escape the room in an hour you attempt to get the wine bottle out of this mystical locked cabinet by solving haunted puzzles with skeletons and poisons and all kinds of stuff like that you have you had me so get the wine bottle yeah I mean yeah (laughs) the wine is wine it is in fact drinkable um but really it was just a really great hour it was really they had they worked really hard on the atmosphere it was really spooky the lights were really low flickering candles uh one of the puzzles involves like rabbit skulls like it's all it's all really good it's it's an hour and it was only like 15 pounds each so like definitely worth it that sounds great yeah where else is that um so this was in london so the company that does it is called handmade mysteries they have a website um, we did Lady Chastity's Reserve at Farringdon, but they also have it in like various locations around the city. Apparently this wine, she made a deal with Bacchus himself to create this wine for all of her social parties that all descended into blood fueled orgies. So <laughs> let's see what happens when we get to the bottom of the bottle. Well. <laughs> um, what do I do next? What we'll do is cut to promos. Cool. And this week it's for... I need to check what they are this week because I didn't check before this. Nice. Who are we selling our souls to? I don't know. Let's see. Who are we selling our souls to? Okay. So, this week our promos are for Graveyard Tales and Colour Me Dead podcast, which are both really great shows and you should definitely check them out. Yeah, definitely. We'll be back mm-hmm. and we'll tell some stories. Yeah. 
evening, everybody, or morning or afternoon or whatever. My name is Adam. And I'm Matt. And we are Graveyard Tales. Now, if you like stories of ghosts, hauntings, the paranormal, preternatural, and the downright weird, and you enjoy a few laughs as well, then you should probably check us out. Find us anywhere you get your podcast. Come join our Facebook group at Graveyard Tales Podcast or on Twitter at G-R-V-E-Y. Just go search Graveyard Tales. That would be easier. We look forward to seeing you in the graveyard. See you soon. Hello, Murder Puppets. Do you like Murder Most Foul? Do you like gory details? Do you love dark humor that offsets the horror? If you do, then come and check us out, the Gory Gals of the Color Me Dead podcast. We drop new episodes every Wednesday because on Wednesdays we wear murder. Adopt, don't shop, and stay Stay out out of chalk lines. And we are back. So, um, I normally give you a choice. Do you want to go first or should I? You can go first. Right, so, we get to talk about the Kariba Dam. Cool, I've never heard of that. It's like um, somewhere on the border of Zambia and Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. It's got um, quite an interesting uh, history to it. Yeah, before we get on that, I forgot, I forgot to say what I'm drinking. I'm drinking. Yeah, what are oh, you drinking yeah. today? <laughs> I'm drinking something called Unicorn Tears. Wonderful, very <laughs> cheerful. <laughs> Which I think I got from Firebox.com, like, Nice. I got it for New Year's. Sounds very changing. Yeah, quite a while back. And I believe the disclaimer says um, unicorns were harmed during the making this. Oh, so. no. Or something like that. I might be lying. They might not have been, but... Yeah, I mean, maybe they were happy tears. Tears of joy. Okay, so yes. Anyway, so, Kariba Dam. Yeah, it's uh, located on the Zambezi River, which is like the fourth longest uh, river in Africa. Mm-hmm. So, pretty significant. And it has, like, you might know part of it because it's... Uh, got the Victoria Falls going into it, which oh, is okay. quite which is one of the one well known um, things about it. Which the main people think recent people know know about it in the first place. Um, basically, it's this uh, huge curved concrete dam about that's 128 meters tall and uh, 579 meters long. So it's wow. pretty hefty. That's a um, damn. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, at this point, it makes uh, Lake Kriwa, which is like a massive lake it's 170 miles uh, wide and yeah it's pretty significant i believe it it now controls 90 percent of the rivers of that river's flow which is massive yeah that's insane. like absolutely crazy and uh so before we actually get into a bit more of that we'll talk about the people indigenous people around here as Mm -hmm. well sure but before it was built people that lived along that river were were called the tonga people of zambia and zimbabwe Mm -hmm. also known as the batonga people which is what i which i'll call them because there's um there's some quite similar names in the like not in that region, but just in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's the Tonga people of Malawi, completely different. Yep. And there's also the Songa people of uh, South Africa. Oh. And some Mozambique. So, uh, not related to each other at all. So, the Tonga people. Mm-hmm. I'm doing better this time than normal. Language is usage, it's fine. Yep. Speaking as an English graduate, language is usage. Say what you want, it's fine. <laughs> in a previous episode, I had to pronounce a 26-letter long name. Wow, that's, that's complex. Yeah. So, uh, doing okay. But yeah, they, they basically live around this um, river, and um, generally found in the Binga district of the Kariba area, which is what Dan's named after, and um, other parts of Matabela land. They're a pretty like, significant size, like 300,000 uh, around about. Oh, wow. Uh, mostly mm-hmm. just farms and stuff. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I think they make, like, they mainly eat fish and stuff, which is why they're like, around, around, around the river. river. Yeah. yeah, makes sense. After this river got built, they end up getting resettled. Mm. Um, which is one yeah, of the... that's always a bit. Um, because it was built by cl- the colonial oh, yeah. Brits. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> and we all know that the British are lovely people when they go abroad. Oh, yeah. Always so charming and polite. <laughs> Never did anything wrong. <laughs> no. We just drank tea. That was it. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a lot of resettling in this. Yeah. And... Yeah, so a lot of them went uh, all over the country, and most uh, all the educated ones would have gone to cities and stuff, mm-hmm. searching for jobs and st- jobs and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it started getting built between 1955 and 1959 by um, Impressit of Italy. Oh, okay, uh, and it cost 135 million dollars. Oh wow! For the first stage, which is oh, only okay. only the south uh, power station, so pretty hefty already, and. Then there was another another construction which added the North Power Cabin um, by Mitchell Construction, who are a British company. Um, that wasn't 
completed until 1977, uh, because of mostly because of political problems in the area at the time. Mm. And it ended up costing $480 million. Bloody hell. That's a... Um, dam. Yeah. But it, was the, but it is the biggest dam in the area, so, mm. like, to this day, I believe. Mm-hmm. Cool. Like, originally, there was actually going to be a, di- a different dam, which is further down, which was smaller and had much less in- impact. But, um, the, the, like, the richer um, colony... Yes. No, we it, want a big wall. It was, a, it was the biggest wall. It, yeah, because it was between, like, three colonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was planned by the, the Federation of Rhodesian uh, Nyasaland uh, or the Central African Federation. Um, so that's basically just a load of Commonwealth independent state colonies. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so they're going to build it further down. The rich one was like, nah, we want it. We yeah. want a big dam. Yeah. We want to show up. Yeah, we want it yeah, in our region as well. Yes. So yeah, so it ended up there instead, which uh, ended up being a much bigger dam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which ended up being at Kruber. Now we're going to a couple of impacts. So I want to save the, like, in the, my favourite bits last. Okay, yeah. Like... So this is all the background knowledge. Building up to it. There, and there were, like, some more impacts, like uh, like I said, lots of displacement of the settlement. Like the creation of the reservoir forced the resettlement of 57,000 uh, oh. Tonga people uh, living along the river in both northern Rhodesia and southern Rhodesia. A uh, first-hand account written by a guy, uh, was written by a guy called David Howarth in the 60s in his mm-hmm. book called uh, The Shadow of the Dam, uh, which referred to the situation in northern Rhodesia mm-hmm. uh, area. And basically, um, I'm going to quote, because it's just a big paragraph. Yeah, he said, everything that a government can do on a meagre budget is being done. Demonstration gardens are being planted to try and teach the Tonga more sensible methods of agriculture and to try and find cash crops which they can grow. The hilly land has been ploughed in ridge contours to guards from against erosion. In Sinazongwe, an irrigated garden has grown a prodigious growth crop of pawpaws, bananas, oranges, lemons, and vegetables, and shown that the remains of the valley could be made more prolific if only money could be found for irrigation. Cooperative markets have been organised, and the Tonga are being taught to run them. Enterprising Tonga have been giving loans, loans to set themselves up as farmers. More schools have been built than the Tonga ever had before, and most of the Tonga are now within reach of dispensaries and hospitals. So, you know, a nice healthy dose of colonialism there. It sounds we, great, We came right? in and we saved them all. Yeah. It's like, Isn't that nice of yeah. us? It sounds great, right? Yeah, we came along, we gave them schools and hospitals and told them all the things they were doing wrong, and then it's fine. Yep. We did a good thing, guys. We can all go home. Ugh. Either way. They weren't so happy about being resettled anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I imagine not. Uh, like, there's a few like different perspectives of just how much resettlement aid was actually given to them as well. Mm-hmm. Like, according to an anthropologist called uh, Faye Scudder, um, who studied them quite a lot, mm-hmm. uh, communities similar to it as well. Like, he basically said that most are still development re- re- refugees. Oh, great! Um, <laughs> he just said this in the late fifties, though. Yeah, basically, um, a lot, um, a lot of them were still development refugees. May live in less productive, problem-prone areas compared to the river. And some of the areas have been so seriously degraded within the last generation that they resemble lands on the edge of the Sahara Desert. Oh, wonderful. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in 2005, there was another book by Jack, by Jack's, I don't, Jack, Jack's, Jacques, Jacques Leslie, I don't know, which basically uh, focused on the people resettled by the dam. And he basically realized that the situation had little change in that time. That sounds about right. <laughs> and it, re- yeah, and it remains the worst dam resettlement disaster in African history. Great. But the dam does provide power to both countries. And Lake Kariba, uh I'm not sure it still is, but it was, but it's, for a fair time, it was the largest man-made lake. Huh. Uh, because it flooded the ent- basically the entire Kariba Gorge. Uh, like, there was a rescue operation for wildlife called Operation Noah, which oh. is a great name to be That's there. a great, yeah, that's a great name. Uh, over five years, which rescued about 6,000 uh, large animals that would, that would have drowned otherwise. <laughs> uh, including elephants, antelopes, rhinos, lions... All the good stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, it would have been great if they could have, you know, stayed where they were living. Yeah. But, but yeah, so uh, like I said, it controls 90% of the runoff of the river. Mm-hmm. Um, and so downstream ecology is, is yeah. pretty different. Yeah, I like, can imagine. suddenly no water. And um, yeah, I think that's enough backstory anyway, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Now I can get into one of my favourite bit of this story. The spooky part? Um, yeah, so we've got some folklore here. Excellent. Interesting. Um like the Tonga people, one of their most important gods is called the Nyami Nyami, mm-hmm. which is otherwise known as the Zambezi River God or Zambezi Snake Spirit. It's meant to be like a pretty powerful god that lives in the river mm-hmm. with his wife, who I don't think I've got a name for. Mm-hmm. I don't think I actually managed to figure that out. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that god was totally happy yeah, at his who, entire lake being restructured, yeah. river being restructured. Yeah. 
and his wife said to live in the gorge. Mm-hmm. And um, when 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 they built, they built it along this. Um, there was a big rock, like basically wet, right where they made the dam, oh. uh, which basically before it was made, um, what Caribou was named for because it means trap. Oh, um, because it's meant, because it said that anyone that goes near the rock, the rock I say rock, it's basically like a small island and... uh, when tides are or when uh, there's actually rainfall and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like the story goes that whoever goes and explores the island uh, will get dragged under, under the water. Oh, okay. Which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah. And it's been to be like quite a quite a sacred area yeah. for that reason. Yeah, and of um, course you know the British whatever that's plather it and build our yeah yeah. And uh, the Nyami Nyami is meant to give protect the Tonga people and give them sustenance mm-hmm. during difficult times. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of the rituals they do is cut some meat, uh, throw it in the river, and apparently it'll come back and um, regrown whatever. Oh wow! Interesting. So um, and he's normally described as having the body of a snake and the head of a fish. He's also described as a whirlpool or as a river dragon. Ooh. Which are pretty fucking cool descriptions. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of god you want in your corner. Yeah, and it actually keeps going to quite like the culture now because you can find a lot of um, references in jewelry um, and statues and wallet and whatnot, mm-hmm. and sometimes even as lucky charms that people wear. Nice. There was that. Like, it's quite an interesting documentary I was watching about earlier um, mm-hmm. while I was doing the notes. <laughs> it's on YouTube, and if you if you just search for the uh, name of the dam. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kariba Dam. It's one. It's one of the half an hour long ones, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it, like, it, it goes into a lot more of the culture of the people that are still living there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to go too much into that this yeah. time. So anyway, yummy, yummy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, it said that uh, traditionally it's the role of the tribal elders and spirit regions to intercede on behalf of the inhabitants of the river when yummy yummy is angered. Ah, yes. So yeah, yummy yummy, pretty angry. I can imagine <laughs> a bunch of strange people from a strange land coming and fucking up his river. Like, that's yeah. not great. And it's also worth noting that um, on top of him living the river, he's said, he's said to control life in and out, in, in and on the river. Oh, okay. Um, and the spirits of Yami Yami and his wife um, in the gorge are meant to be god and goddess of the underworld. Ah, so, you know, definitely the ones you want to mess with. If you're yeah. going to mess with any gods, definitely always go for the underworld one. Yeah, and um, on top of this, people... Uh, after the dam was built, it was believed that um, uh, that it offended Yami Yami even more because it's said because it said that it split uh, him and his wife. Oh uh, no! So pretty rough. Yeah, that's really been. Uh, yeah, now I'm going to legend. Ooh, uh, the legend. Because, um, the myth, the legend. There's a few um, like stories on, but this like most well documented one, mm-hmm. and a lot of these come from like just after the or during the river building. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Basically, the Batonga people lived in the Zambezi River no, Valley for centuries in peaceful seclusion and with little contact with the outside world. They were simple folk who, who built their houses in kraal, which are basically um, like castle farms mm-hmm. or enclosures, along the banks of a great river, and believed that their gods looked after them, supplying them with water and food. But their idealistic lifestyle was, was to be blown apart. In the, in the early 1940s, a report was made about the possibility of a hydroelectric scheme to supply power for the growing industry that colonialism had brought to the Federation of Countries that were known as Northern Rhodesia on one side of the river and Southern Rhodesia on the other, which are now Zambia and Zimbabwe. In 1956, construction on the Kariba Dam project was started, and heavy earth-moving equipment roared into the valley and tore out thousands of hundred-year-old trees to build roads and settlements to house the war- workers who poured into the area to build a dam uh, that would harness the powerful river. The Patonga's peace and solitude was shattered, and they were told to leave their homes and move away from the river to avoid the flood that the dam would cause. So we're already not going great. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, never mind, I just found a bit about the rock. <laughs> oh, yeah. here it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it was not my notes. I, I'm not a moron, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so the name Kariba comes from the word uh, Kariba, or Karinga, which means trap. Uh, which first through the which one of the rocks jutting out from the gorge where the dam wall was built mm-hmm. uh, to be built, and that's actually supposed to be the home of Nyapping Happy, oh. <laughs> um, which I did not, which I didn't say. And like I said, they believed anyone who ventured near the rock was dragged down to spend an eternity under the water. Oh dear. So, like after all these people came, they were like they, they let themselves be resettled uh, higher up the bank. Uh, believing that Nyami Nyami would never allow the dam to be built, and eventually, when the project failed, they'd come back. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, in 1957 came along uh, when the dam was pretty well on its way to completion. And um, 
Then the worst floods ever known on the Zambezi washed away much of the partly dealt, built dam. Well, that serves them right. Um, and along with heavy equipment, killing many of the workers. Oh, uh, fifty-eight, no, eighty-six people were killed. Okay. Uh, many of which were white workers. Um, I'm not sure about all of them, but mm. yeah. So yeah, yummy, yummy. Got not, pissed. Yeah, not so yeah. happy. Yeah. And so, like I said, some of the people that ki- killed were white men, and uh, apparently. Story goes their bodies have disappeared mysteriously, <gasps> uh, and after an extensive search to find them uh, failed, um, Tonga elders were asked to assist it as their tribes because their tribes knew the river better than anyone else mm-hmm. because they lived there before. And they basically explained that Yami Yami caused the disaster, and in order to, and to appease the wrath, that a sacrifice had to be made. Oh. Uh, they weren't taken seriously, um, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but, after, but after a while, the relatives of missing workers uh, arrived, and um, so the party. Uh, agreed to agreed as in a hope that the tribes might not know where they are. So they floated a black calf down the down the river, slaughtering it. Um, and the next morning, the calf was gone, and the worst bodies were in its place. <gasps> like it's like it's pretty to say that this person the calf uh, is because the the river is infested cross with crocodiles. Crocodiles, yeah. Like so many crocodiles. So many. Like in the documentary I was watching, they said that, like that one of the big issues is crocodiles mm-hmm. uh, while they're fishing. Um, but yeah, and but however, the reappearance of the workers' bodies three days after they disappeared was never really explained. Yeah, I mean, I would have thought the crocodiles would have. I don't know yeah. if crocodiles eat people as like, much, but like, yeah, so I would have been like, okay, the crocodiles ate people as well, but no, they just reappeared. That's weird. And, um, yeah, mm. never really been uh, properly explained. Mm-hmm. Um, and after the disaster, like flow patterns of the river were kind of studied to figure out if there was a likelihood of another flood, and it was agreed that a flood of that kind of Intensity would only would happen only once every thousand years. Oh wow! Hmm. The very next rainy season, however, brought further floods worse than the previous year. So striking again uh, and destroying the destroying the coffer dam, the excess bridge, and past the main wall. I forget, actually, I think there's eighty six across that one and this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how because it, there's, there were actually actual numbers of which were which, mm-hmm. uh, but overall it was eighty six people, eighty six oh deaths. So. Um, so yeah, two 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 rainy seasons in a row. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, the product still survived, uh, and the river was eventually controlled. Mm-hmm. Uh, though, uh, and in ni- 1960, the generators were switched on and began supplying electricity to Zimbabwe and Zambia. Ever since, mm-hmm. uh, they still do to this day. Oh wow! Um, and the Tonga do still live in the shores of Lake Kriba, mm-hmm. and a lot of them still believe that one day Nyam Nyami will fulfill his promise and they'll be able to return to their homes. Oh. Um, basically, uh, believing that. Uh, because Yam Yam and his wife are separated by the wall, uh, frequent earth tremors in, in the area um, are supposed to be him trying to reach his wife. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I hope... And well, one day he'll destroy the dam. Oh, well, <laughs> I don't hope that happens, but I, that, I don't know. That's kind of sad. Yeah, it's uh, pretty rough. <laughs> Quite an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the sto- That was the legend, at least. Mm-hmm. Now, just to finish it up, to wrap up a bit, um, we'll just go into some more recent stories around the area. Mm-hmm. Because the story... Like the area is still there, the village is still there, and the documentary I talk about is actually more about more recent times. Mm-hmm. Like uh, on the sixth of February two thousand eight, the BBC reported that heavy rain might lead to the release of water from the dam, which forced fifty thousand people downstream to evacuate. Now it didn't happen that year, but um, in two thousand ten, the floodgates uh, were opened because of rising levels, uh, and it ended up causing requiring the evacuation of one hundred thirty thousand instead. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So uh, worse than that. Uh, basically causing concerns that flooding could spread to nearby areas as well. In March 2014, uh, at a Zambezi River Authority organised conference, a lot of the engineers also warned that the foundations of the dam have weakened, Mm -hmm. and there's a possibility of dam failure unless repairs are made. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's actually happened. I don't think they have. Um, From what I can tell, it's still pretty... There's very little Mm -hmm. outside influence there now. Mm -hmm. Um, And after... That after Western relations fell through, like there's a lot of um, look to look to the East culture now. Yeah. At the same time, they still have a lot of Western tourists there, and stuff, yeah. so a lot of the money does come from them. Mm-hmm. On f- the third of October, 2014, the BBC reported that the Kariba Dam is in a dangerous state. Opened in 1959, it was built on a seemingly solid bed of basalt, but in the last 50 years, the torrents from the spillway have eroded the bedrock, carving out a vast crater that's undercut the dam's foundations. Engineers are now warning that without urgent rep- repairs, the whole dam will collapse. And if that happened, a tsunami-like wall of water would rip through the Zambezi Valley, reaching the Mozambique border within eight hours. 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure how far that is. I didn't actually. Well, I don't have a measurement down. But uh, it's pretty far. But yeah, that water moves fast. Yeah. like like it's a big distance over a very short time. Mm-hmm. And it said that the torrent would overwhelm Mozambique's um, Kahura Basa Dam and knock out forty percent of this, of Southern Africa's hydroelectric capacity. Oh my gosh! Which goes to show just how big this dam still is. Yeah, yeah. Um, along with devastation of wildlife, um, Zambezi River Authority estimates. The, the lives of 3.5 million people are at risk. Oh my gosh, that would be such a, like... Oh. Like, if that goes down, it's not going to be great for anyone. No. And in January 2016, it was also reported that water levels in the dam had dropped to 12% of capacity, falling 5.58 metres in... Only 1.75 metres above minimum operating level for hydropower. Oh, God. So, um... So low, too, too much water and then suddenly not enough. Yeah, low rainfalls and overuse of the water by power plants have basically base left it, the, the reservoir near empty. So there's a big prospect of uh, both Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe and Zambia being uh, having water shortages soon. Wow. So yeah, it's uh, honestly not one I'd heard of before today. So, <laughs> no, <it's laughs> really interesting. isn't something I should be saying as someone that's doing yeah. this podcast. <laughs> no, you mean you've been planning this for weeks? Obviously, no, I did it today. <laughs> <laughs> It's fine. I, I think I, I think I covered it pretty well because I I did look around. And there was a fair bit of rap about it. Mm-hmm. But yes, that's the yeah, that's the that's the Kariba Dam. Any comments before we? No, just that it's you know fascinating, and you know I think there's a lot of problems with white people coming in and building things and then leaving, and then <laughs> uh, people having to deal with it for a very long time. Oh, you know, man. I think there's something. You know, maybe there's something in the the yummy yummy. You know. Yeah, I, I mean. Think. Two, two years in a row is pretty rough. Yeah, I mean... And, yeah, anyway, so we will cut it, cut to music, and then we'll be back with some vampires. Cool. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, and we're back. I'm going to pass it over to Gemma now uh, to talk about some vampires. Cool. So one, so I'm fascinated by vampires. I have since I was 13 years old and discovered what goth was. Um, always loved vampires. I'm currently in the middle, of, like I said earlier, of writing a 12,000 word dissertation on Dracula based on the premise that Bram Stoker is an absolutely terrible writer, but he is very good at the uncanny. And actually, some of the best parts of Dracula are parts that never seem to make it into the mainstream movies, which I think is fascinating. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. So one of my favourite sections in the book is Jonathan Harker, who is the most useless protagonist in the history of literature, (laughs) who gets to Transylvania, realises that, you know, the Count is holding him hostage and doesn't have a reflection in all of this and spends a good deal of time talking about how he's recently been promoted to being a solicitor. But anyway, so he he's just realised that he's trapped and he goes to look out the window and he sees Dracula climbing up on the side of the building like like a spider on the wall, which I always think is a really cool, really uncanny image that never makes it into the movies. But Dracula never oh. has wall climbing powers. That not be in the movies. That's right? a great idea. Yeah, I mean, like, I can't think of any that come to mind of that particular scene. But I feel like there's just something really uncanny about imagining him, like, you know, walking sideways up the wall and then twisting his head around to look. It's mm. really creepy. It's very exist. Yeah, re- exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. It's really creepy. Other yeah. bits I love. Everyone thinks the Dracula burns in the sunlight. He does not. He's fine. He walks around London like in the middle of the daytime. He just can't transform during the day but he doesn't turn into ash actually he never turns into ash even when they stake him he turns into dust not ash which i mean bursting into flames and stuff is very cool for movies but it's not actually accurate i guess it must come from other dracula from other vampire stories yeah. i feel like the accumulated dracula myth has gone way beyond what was in the book now which honestly i like because there's some stuff in the book that's just awful and some stuff that isn't interesting mm. there's a whole section in the book where he well actually actually i find this interesting but i don't know how well it would turn into a movie where he goes to a zoo and possesses a wolf 
and the wolf like escapes and crashes through a window and then goes back but Dracula can possess animals which never seems to come up I think, I think vampires possess people for a decent amount. But people, yeah, not as much the, the cool animal powers. You know, you have that mm. that line, the children of the night, what music yeah. they make. But he, you never see him I think as it, much. Yeah. I, I, find, I think it's because movies try to separate werewolves and vampires a lot. Yeah. That's the main reason, I yeah. think, just from a movie's perspective. I mean, honestly, in the book, there isn't that much of a difference. They talk about wolves a lot. They talk, I think mm. werewolves come up a few times as like things that are similar to what's happening. Vampires I like are ones that can turn to... That turn to Bats, wolves, mist. See, you uh, would whatever. like the gangrel in Masquerade. They have animal shifty powers and they can turn into mist. And Because it's really hard to stab a cloud from mist. Lovecraft. Lovecraft also. That's exactly where I go from. Like. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, generally, it's very hard to stab mist. Mm. So that's a great power to have. Yeah, it's like yeah. very hard to stab mist. Yes. So actually, that was one thing I wanted to talk about, is the main kind of stereotypes that vampires fall into. There's usually... So I'm I'm basing this off the five clans in Requiem, mm. but generally vampires fall into one of five types. So I'm going to start with the Nosferatu, which are exactly what it sounds like, the horrible, twisted, alien-looking monster beneath the bed, the shadowy, terrifying creatures of nightmare with the pointy ears and no hair and the massive fangs, the ones that are just like... Nightmare creatures. Yeah, they're like one right. of them. yeah. Peter from What We Do in the Shadows. What We Do in the Shadows is one of my all-time favorite vampire Same. movies. It's excellent. Everyone Same. should go it's see just, it. It's just one of my all-time favorite films. Same. They're gonna make it into a. They're making Series. a sequel. I know. Yeah, with the werewolves. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be amazing. Taika Waititi is a genius. Okay, uh, Requiem is the. So I play vampire. The Requiem is the system my lot's based on. But basically, it's a collection of all the various. It's just, it's basically right. a setting for vampire lore. Okay, so it's just the vampire world. Yeah, the vampire world that I yeah. particularly inhabit. There are lots of other ones, but this is my favourite. Okay. Um, there are also the aristocratic vampires. So that's the kind of part of Dracula with all the wealth and the history and that very kind of domineering, you will obey me because not only have I got psychic powers, but I'm also just better than you in every way. That kind of very compelling, not only supernatural power, but just having that amount of money and power that you can't really say no to. And then you have the gangrel, which are the animal ones. So they're the ones who can shapeshift, turn into bats, turn into wolves. Very kind of in tune with nature kind of e. Okay, so the hippies. The hippies, yeah. Yeah, I think they would probably... The they would call your face off if you said that. But yeah, basically. That's fine. Um, so there, I feel like that one... I feel like all of these vampire legends, like... Every vampire myth has little bits of each of these. I don't think there's... Even Dracula, sometimes he's the suave, aristocratic power player. Sometimes he's turning into a wolf and tearing across the landscape and howling at the moon. Yeah. Um, sometimes he's hidden in the shadows and listening and collecting all this information. But my personal, my pet, see, this is going to reveal a lot of me. My personal favourite archetype of the vampire in Requiem, they're called the Deva, but in general, it's the erotic form of the vampire. The vampire that not only drinks your blood, but also makes you want them to. The kind that yep. shows up in either beautifully flowing nightgowns or gorgeously pressed frilly shirts at the window, and you just can't help but open the window to them because they're just that beautiful. Which I feel like tells a lot about me, and I feel like a lot of, there's a lot of pushback against that now. I think there's a lot of fame, there's, a lot, there's quite a lot of that in most vampire things. Yeah. Like, that's, I think that's one of the main themes of vampires. It makes good movies. Mm-hmm. Having attractive actors, you know, <laughs> tapping at the window and speaking that's enticingly. Really a lot of vampire stories in general, they're normally like, meant to be fucking gorgeous, right? Yeah, right? Like, Honestly, like, I understand the kind of urge to get away from that. No, vampires are hideous monsters and they don't want sex, they just want to feed. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not fun. <laughs> Having said that, my dissertation... About a good chunk, about a good third of the introduction is me explaining why I'm not talking about sex. Because <laughs> I'm not. So I'm talking about um, disease in Dracula, specifically. Mm. So basically, Bram Stoker uses a lot of medical language. He talks about miasmas, he talks about transfusions, but he really doesn't really have a clue what he's fucking talking about. <laughs> he just kind of, he's got a very kind of, let's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks approach. There's a little bit of Catholicism, let's have some communion wafers. There's a little bit of miasma theory, let's open the windows. There's a little bit of germ theory, we need to sterilise the earth. There's a little bit of, let's all, in this weird, incestuous ritual, exchange blood with each other, because that's fine. 
<laughs> he just kind of throws stuff at the wall. But actually, I think that's what makes a good vampire story. I feel like the more you try and explain away things, the less interesting they get. Yeah. You get the kind of midichlorians in Star Wars. Nobody needed that. Nobody needed to know that shit. We were fine with just accepting that the Force is a thing. We oh, didn't man. need weird little particles in the blood. This is true. Right. I'd be happy. They, I would be fine to call it magic. Yeah, I'm totally fine. It's magic. It's demons. Whatever. Hand wave it. I don't care. But I feel like the more you try and write... Yeah. I feel like science and vampirism, they go very well together. You know? Fear of the unknown. It's not like, exactly. It's, I love Lovecraft so much. Yeah. Like, in, I, am, I am actually planning on doing an episode for Lovecraft. Excellent. See, that, uh, that is the... Because I just want to have a whole episode for him because he's my favourite. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things Lovecraft is great. Is that he uses that scientific terminology... But in the end, it all breaks down because science can't explain these things. Mm. You know, that's what makes a really great horror story is that point at which you've done all the science and you have all this data and it still doesn't make any sense. Yep. The strongest emotion is fear and the, and the strongest fear is the fear of the unknown. Yes, definitely. I mean, so like there's one Lovecraft quote that always... I'm going to paraphrase it because I can't remember the exact words, but my favourite one is he talks about how there's nothing more disconcerting than seeing a beast, like expecting the voice of a man and hearing the voice of a beast or expecting the voice of a beast and hearing the voice of a man. Like that's such a clever little psychological quote and I've it's so true. Before. I've not heard that before. That's Just it. imagine like a human yeah. speaking with the voice of an animal. Yeah. Like I, it, it, he's such a clever writer. Yes. I mean. Anyway, that'll be for another episode. So we'll yeah. get, so back to vampires. Back to vampires. So one thing I also wanted to talk about is the subculture of we real life sanguinarians. So sanguinarians are individuals who believe that they need blood to ex to sustain themselves. Okay. So they can be... There are relative levels of investment in this. Some people do it recreationally. There are some people who believe that they need blood to live, that they would actually exhaust themselves and die if they did not drink human blood. Okay. I, I have heard of these. I don't know much about them. So there's a big, uh, big subculture of them. Most of them... Um, live online so they tend to fall into three kind of groups so you have the they would probably call themselves real life sanguinarians who are sometimes reluctant to actually call themselves vampires they believe that the, their psychological need to drink blood is physiological they believe that literally if they don't drink blood that they will die there's a whole community that's built up around this they look for in quotes donors to give them that blood's um, I was reading one of their like kind of awareness advert things online about how actually most of them don't bite each other because human teeth aren't sharp enough. So they use blades and then drink. Fair enough. So, um, so there's a massive community of them. They arrange various kind of conventions all around the world. There's some, you know, obviously some ties to like the fetish community and that kind of thing. But they believe that it's not necessarily a sexual urge. They believe they have to, that they need it to eat. So that's like the first type. That's, okay, that is very interesting. Yeah. There are also psi vampires or psychic vampires who feed off the spiritual energy of the others. So that's kind of getting into a bit more new wave hippie kind of thing. They believe that they suck the spiritual life essence. Sometimes they call it chi, sometimes they call it auras, whatever. Have you seen Dirk Gently? I haven't actually. I need okay, to. Okay, because there's some characters that are just like that in that. Yeah, and they're my favorite. Yeah, yeah. So like, also like the Chinese Jiangxi as well. They don't drink blood; they drink energy. Um, so they tend to. They don't always get along with the actual sanguinarians. They believe that you know that you don't need to drink blood. That what you're actually absorbing is the life force of another human. And if you look online, you can find all kinds of protections. I, I was googling psychic vampires and. Most of the hits I got were for how to protect yourself against psychic vampires. So, you know, if you're curious about that, apparently quartz is very effective at repelling psychic vampires. So if you are feeling, you know, very drained and very tired lately, is there someone new in your life, maybe? Maybe invest in some quartz and see if you feel any better. Um, As a geologist, I'm not so sure. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, like, um, uh, like... Honestly, if I had evidence, I'd be like, sure. Why but, not? Um, after right. five years of being a geologist, I'm just like, I've seen no evidence. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. If vampires are real, what's to say that quartz doesn't help protect you against them? I mean, I haven't spent five years looking at vampires. That's fair. <laughs> like... I mean, yeah, that's fair. 
Um, and then finally, they have the third group, which they call lifestylers. And they always say this in a very kind of derisive ter- like term. They use it very kind of mockingly. They think lifestylers are the kind of people who not who don't just drink blood because they feel they need to, but do it because of the whole aesthetic. They wear the fangs. They wear the capes. They don't come out in the sun. They sit around in goth clubs and drink and talk about how painful their existence is. So they're the kind of least favoured of the vampire community. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but basically, it's what we do at LARP. So, so they're, they're the fanboys. They're the fanboys, exactly. There's a whole bloodline of vampires. There's a whole like breed of vampires in Requiem called the Players, whose whole shtick is that they want to be the vampires from the movies. Go, they go all in. They buy the capes. They, they drink the blood. They wear the eyeliner. They mysteriously sweep women away into the night. I really enjoyed the idea of having a vampire game where one of, these, where one of the races is just people wanting to be vampires. Yeah, exactly. And they are also the most... Everybody hates them. All of the like proper vampires hate their guts because they're an embarrassment. They they make the rest of the vampires look bad, basically. Mm. But they are really, they're really fun. They have a power called faking it which means that they can, if they pull off the role, they can convince you that they know how to do something that they really don't. So they can literally go up to you and say, hey, stand back, I know Kung Fu, and you'll believe them. That's hilarious. Which is great. I love them. Um, so I found a really interesting example of a real-life sanguinarian. Uh, Jonathan Sarkey, originally John, Albert the Impaler Sharkey, is an American professional wrestler and perennial candidate. He lives in Florida, and he attempted to run as president for the Republicans in 2012. That's amazing. Um, yeah, in two, uh, 2011, he formally ended his presidential campaign, but he does say he returns to run again in 2020, so we might actually have America's first vampire president. That is, the thing of me is that one of my favourite things ever is wrestling moves, which are not what they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Like, seeing power bombs that are in random places. Like, if I'm just watching a comp, like, uh, just a movie where someone gets, like, suplexed, mm-hmm. I'll, I will have, the, I'll be the happiest man. Mm. Just because if it's out of place, I just, I just find it really funny. So, apparently, <laughs> Sharky says he first drank blood at the age of five and now consumes the blood of girlfriends and mistresses twice a week. He describes his vampirism as a very healthy thing to do and has praised Hollywood for making vampire feeding practices romantic and erotic. He only drinks women's blood because women are beautiful, according to him. They have such beautiful necks and arms. So that's that's a lot to unpack there. Um, He says he's well known within the vampire community. He says he also drinks cow and pig's blood. Okay. Um, He is a Luciferian, so he worships Lucifer. Ashaki says he turned against God because he would not worship a God who causes the death of innocent children. He compares Lucifer to the founding fathers of the United States, arguing they both <laughs> exemplify the idea of religion against tyranny. Uh, rebellion against that's tyranny. That's my favourite. Good. Yep. Oh my god. Oh, Lucifer oh. is like the founding fathers well, of the US. Yep. He also says that he doesn't hate Jesus, just God the Father. You know, he's got nothing against Jesus. And, you know, Jesus was pretty much the first vampire. This is my blood. Drink it weekly. <laughs> and in go into dark rooms, swing some incense around and drink my blood. That's fine. Because the blood supplements. <laughs> yes, blood is the life. Which is actually from Dracula. The blood is the life. Um, he says he also follows Hecate. Hecate is a Greek triple goddess of magic. His whole political career is kind of tied into his vampi- vampires. He has a very, very strong policy on crime. He said certain criminals, instead of being put in jail, they should be brutally tortured and impaled. (laughs) (laughs) Upon them being found guilty of their crimes, I'll beat them, torture them, dismember them, and then decapitate them. An amazing president, apparently. Wow. Uh, Apparently, on Tucker Carlson's television show, he agreed with the host's description of him as not simply a vampire, but a right-wing vampire. Right, but, okay, so, right wing vampire, one of my, fa- my, my favourite terms that I've heard yep, right, in a while. The right wing. See, the, honestly, if he ran for president, he would be horrible, but I'd be kind of. Impo- I'd kind of be. You kind of want to vote for this guy. He's insane. I mean, oh, who's the one? Who's the, England, the one in England? Fucking. Oh, Lord, yes, Lord Buckethead. Lord Buckethead. This is the American equivalent vampire it's, president. Lord Buckethead's great. Have um, you actually seen his videos? They're I fucking have, hilarious. He's actually generally funny. <laughs> He's, he was described... Someone described Sharky as someone who believes in Republican values but needs to focus on campaign issues rather than extreme behaviour. 
Though actually, despite his reticence to drink from male partners, he supports equal rights for gay people. So that's good. He's not all bad. Yeah. Um, though he hates Obamacare. And he says that the, the poor should receive free medical and dental care paid for with government taxes on marijuana and prostitution, which he says should be legalised. Hmm. So his kind of campaign plan is become vampire in chief, legalise weed and prostitution, feed the poor... And drain the blood of his enemies. So it's nice. He's <laughs> like, been, yep. On a list, it sounds fine. Yeah. Uh, like if, it's, if it was in bullet points, it would sound fine. Then, but as soon as you take it out of bullet points, yeah. you're like, oh man, that is rough. That's, that's a bit rough. Like, yeah. oh man. He's been in two separate documentaries one called Impaler, which came out in 20, uh, 2007, and one called Impaled, blame, uh, Painfully Blunt. In 2019. <laughs> I appreciate the puns that went oh, into my that. God. I actually I enjoy that so much. But the best part of his story, it just keeps getting better, is he got investigated by the Secret Service because he threatened to stake President George Bush. And apparently, the spokesman for the service, Secret Service said that he didn't believe the investigation was an overreaction. <laughs> so this guy got close enough to staking George Bush that the Secret Service got involved. Like... How close would he have been to make it, to make it, no, not that it, that doesn't the discussion, that's fine, but to make it them sound, make, make them say it's a serious investigation. Yeah. Like, like people it, make threats against the president every day on there Twitter. There must have been plans. There must have been plans. There must I really want to know what those plans were. I would have, like, it would have been horrific, but God, I would love to have seen that. Someone okay. just running up and trying to stake George Bush. I mean. He's been arrested a number of times. Uh, so he's been jailed in Tennessee for making threats against an Indiana judge. Investigators confiscated two rifles and a wooden stake from his house. I'll, I wanted to comment on that, but first I need to say that I thought you were going to say Indiana Jones. No, no, not quite. <laughs> um, <laughs> Against an Indiana... No, but like, holy shit, that's... Um, yeah, so... Wow. I would, and also, apparently, he's got... There's a restraining order against him because apparently he brainwashed a 16-year-old girl to join his coven of vampires and attempted to steal her away from her parents, so he now has a restraining order against her. Wow. Yeah. So, so, so he I, himself is in his for, uh, is in his forties. So, oh no, he's then, in his fifties. So he tried to be a president. Then he tried to be a cult leader. Yep. <laughs> yep. Basically. Like that's talking opening signs of a cult right there. I've yeah. seen one. <laughs> like. Um. So he's a very strange individual, but he identifies as a vampire. There are apparently he's apparently not the only one. I would I would honestly love to see what would happen if a British politician tried that. He's actually, like, fairly well-established in, you know, the Republican Party as a legitimate person, which is just insane, frankly. Well, that's... To that is extremely impressive. Yep. Like, props to him, I guess. Like, yeah, holy shit. Good, like, good luck, mate, with that. Fuck you, and maybe I'll start reading Vampire on my CV. Yeah, I... Honestly, I'm tempted. I feel like that would really make your CV stand out. Yeah, it's like, please hire me. In, in your, like... <laughs> in your, like... Hobbies and recreation. Well, at the weekend, I like to be a vampire and drink the blood of the innocent. Special skills. <laughs> I, I honestly think my favourite vampire-related thing is still what we do in the shadows. Every single time it just and makes it's still me funny. Too fair, the uh, horror comedy is my favourite genre. Actually, same. Um, yeah. Even though normally they're really bad, mm. but every now and then one of them is just gold. Yes. And it's perfect. I mean, even the bad ones are sometimes just worth watching because yeah. they're funny bad. Mm. I mean, my favourite vampire movie is probably uh, Only Lovers Left Alive, which was a, a... I've not seen many, honestly. It's a really... It was kind of a relatively indie kind of vampire movie. It has Tom Hiddleston opposite Tilda Swinton as a pair of... Uh, a, a pair of vampires who've been married for centuries, but live, live on different sides of the planet and just kind of check in with each other every now and again. I mean, that's basically like five minutes when you're a vampire, yeah, right? Yeah, it's just, it's a really, like, honestly, it's a really beautiful love story of nothing else, which is unexpected for a vampire movie. It does sound like something I'd enjoy. Yeah, it's just really sweet. The music in it is also excellent. It's, it's really like, well put together. I really enjoy, like, romance ones that are, which are weird yes like which is why I really want to see The Shape of Water oh I'm so excited for that Guillermo like, del Toro is a master he's my top three directors mm -hmm. yeah um, he's but like, ballistic gel torso uh, <laughs> like Crimson Peak is my all time favourite movie I feel like the perfect. I watched it for the first time on Christmas Eve and, it, oh. and I loved it yeah it's just the. I feel like del Toro like the, the thing that makes that beauty that film it's just so that he's beautiful. got the 
He has the sight. He has the sight. <laughs> he has the sight. And it's just so respectful to that whole canon of gothic story. Yeah. Which is why I got really mad. They advertised it as, you know, your generic haunted house horror movie, which is never what it was supposed to be. It was supposed right. to be a gothic romance. And as, like, you know, a literature student, that's the kind of thing I love. This is the kind I of I genuinely thing. really enjoyed it. It's, oh, it's, it's beautifully like, made. It, it did have its weak spots, but overall... I'd give it at least an 8 out of 10. Oh my gosh, it's it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, like I have the art book and everything. And that and that's put and I'm I'm not like IGN. 5 is average for me, yeah. not 7. Yeah. Like 8 is a good film it's for me. It's, I really enjoyed it. It was just so well put together and it was honestly like like it had the errors weren't ones that were that killed enjoyment. I mean, it also has one of my favorite my favourite gothic tropes, which I'm actually writing about in my dissertation, which is Victorian novel disease, which is when a usually a woman becomes very pale, lies in bed a lot, and starts coughing up blood. And they never really explain what it is. It's just waved as, ah, she's ill. She's got Victorian novel disease. She's probably going to die after she's had enough time to, you know, give her whole speech. You're not wrong. That's the worst thing. You're not wrong. Yeah, it Even comes though- up really classic shot of... A beautifully wayfish pale woman coughing blood up into a handkerchief, and that's that's all you ever get. It's always a oh, handkerchief as well. Yeah, she's she's dying of something like, hand wavy. Like, if it was like, I'm sorry, if it wasn't a novel, you would not be coughing into a handkerchief. But you're if you're coughing up blood, blood you'd be co- yeah, you'd, you'd be like, wretched over the sink, like or the or the toilet, just bleh. Worst experience of my life is I coughed up blood once because I had an, a caffeine overdose. I took in one day. I had about five cans. No. Three cans of Monster, two Cokes, and I bought these really stupid, like, they were caffeinated sweets online. They were actually shaped like little pellets of blood. Wow. But I, I ate the whole tube of them and then all this caffeine and I started vomiting blood. And this was also about the time of the Ebola scare. So when I called, uh, I called the ambulance because I was like, I'm really sick. They started asking me all kinds of questions like, have you been to South Africa recently? Do you know anyone who's been to South Africa recently? <laughs> Wow. So that's really scary. When Holy you're, shit. When, this was, I was in freshers. I, I was on my own in my room and I was terrified out of my mind that I'd somehow contracted Ebola. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of caffeine. Yeah, that was a lot of caffeine. I, never again. Never again. That was the, it was the worst thing we've ever done. I never felt so sick in my oh. life. I was in hospital all night. Just, oh, it was horrible. So don't do that, guys. Don't. Don't do that. Yeah. It was horrible. Coughing up blood is not fun. It's not the aesthetic. No, I mean, if you want the gory details, it doesn't even look like blood. It looks like coffee grounds. Oh, like, no. Like, it all congeals. That's even, that's even worse. It, like, congeals. That's it's even horrible. worse. Yeah. It's not pleasant. So don't do that. Especially not at the time of a highly infectious, you know, world-destroying virus on the loose. <laughs> because the uh, paramedics will give you a wide berth. <laughs> That's at least at least it's a story. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a story. It's one of my favorite ones because it's a my whole life revolves around making bad decisions, and that's probably one of the worst ones I've made. <laughs> I think most people's lives yeah. revolve around bad decisions. Yeah. <laughs> like. yeah, so that was fun, but that was my that was my real life vampire experience. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh man. I've never felt the need to drink blood, but you know that's that's probably as close as I'm gonna get. Yeah. So, anything more? You want to um, I don't think so. I think awesome. My spiel. Cool, 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 cool. In that case, we will cut to music and be right back with an outro. Cool. And we are back. So, um, outro, outro, outro. Um, do you have anything to plug or shout out to? Yeah, I would love to plug the University of Birmingham LARP Society. Um, specifically, I run the Birmingham by Night uh, Vampire the Requiem game, which we meet every Friday from 6 till 10. Rooms change week to week, but um, we're often in Bioma Bar, which is great. Um, we also have a, a fantasy LARP on Saturday, which is more weapon-based. Um, but my one... Do you, you want to give a quick explanation about what LARP is? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I forget that not everybody is as much of a nerd as me. To be fair, I also have barely an idea what LARP is. I know the basics just through people. So LARP is live action role play. So if you've ever played any Dungeons and Dragons, any kind of tabletop story based board game, works like that. So I'm I'm more clued up on my side of it. Um, so we meet every Friday 
everyone comes up with a character with a character sheet with various stats on and then for most of that three hour period you'll be in character you'll be acting as your character speaking as them doing what they do and basically helping make this really interesting collaborative story we have all kinds of plots going on murders and intrigues drug rings horrible blood magic sorceries going on there's all kinds of stuff we love we would love to have new players so everyone is welcome you don't even have to be a university of birmingham student yeah cool couple of shout outs which i normally do each week uh who was i going to shout to i have no idea <laughs> shout okay. out to azri for sitting here yeah. for two hours and okay. not saying anything yeah. shout out to azri for sitting in the background of this room this entire time and you didn't even know it getting you your guests yeah, that's yep. fair. Yeah, I'm getting my guest this week. Yeah, like, he's just been sitting here this entire episode. So, uh, say hi, Azri. Hey, I'm enjoying it. So, <laughs> good stories. Oh, man. Um, yeah, we'll get you on at some point as well. Hey. Like, uh, Talk about, like, video game. And a couple shout-outs. First of all, to I Got the Hell Out for give nervous shout-out to DirtySexyHistory.com. Oh, nice. I, I, I've never heard of that, but I think I want to. Uh, it's basically a history blog, which um, talks about the interesting parts of history like just, just skips out the double stuff fun um but now i've been talking to jess from there and uh we'll, we'll just come not sure what she prefers nice but uh, she was super nice oh lovely uh so you go check out what else what else what else what else oh can i give a shout out to someone yes can i give a shout out to daniel who's my resident vampire expert in america who i wouldn't be doing larp if it wasn't for him so thanks very much excellent <laughs> yep um shout out to Jonathan Starkey, Vampire President, 2020. <laughs> yep. Okay, you know you know what? Shout out to the University of Birmingham Metal Society. Oh, yeah, them too. Because they're awesome and they tend to listen most. And then I know at least a few of them listen all each week. Hi, Elliot. Yep. Hi, Elliot. <laughs> he was our guest last week. Yeah, he's he's in LARP. So if you if you want to come and hear him talk yep. more, if you like the sound of his voice, then come to LARP. He was our guest last week and Hannah was a week before that. Oh, well, excellent. Yeah. I'm so proud of one of my favorite. There's actually, a, there's actually a chance it may be next week as well because I think Tom wants to join in. Excellent! See, we're, the um, laugh is taking over. We're like vampires. We we breed. And also, I live with him, so it's pretty oh, easy yeah. for me to do. Oh yeah, that's fair. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, I've not, I've gotten like most of my guests so far. I've actually been getting on the on the week. <laughs> I mean, um, if you ever want to talk about vampires again, like so that shout out's done. I normally do a cool thing of the week, which I have no idea what I'm going to say this week. What do I like this week? I've oh, I, I've been listening to a lot of Sabaton again, so I'm going to say Sabaton because they're fucking great. Uh, if you like power metal or just the very cheesy music and songs about history, including like a lot of World War II, uh, there's one album that's literally about just about uh, Swedish. It's called Carolus Rex, and nice. it's about Carolus Rex. Nice. I think their best albums are probably. I think it's called Prima Victoria <laughs> and Atora Damanathus. Another band I really like at the minute, Bad Pollyanna. If you guys have ever heard of them, they're a metal band, really cool, based in like around Sheffield, I think. Really cool, really kind of gothic horror, lots of kind of mm. anime influences. They're really great. You should check them out. Oh, uh, yeah, and also mm. the band Amarantus. Oh yeah, Amarantus are amazing because they played the Miss Lady Gala that we went to um, a couple of days, like a couple of days ago, and they were amazing. They did. Uh, after that, social media. Um, we have Facebook at facebook.com slash blood and rocks, uh, Twitter at the bloody rocks, email at botrpodcast at gmail.com. And I think that's everything. Yeah. Well, Probably. Thank- yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Yeah. Well, excellent. It was really good. It was really great having you as well. I'm happy to have you on again, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's. Probably everything. I always forget something. I don't care mm. anymore. It's fine. I, I, I'm just like, you know what? It's fine. We it's did, fine. We did enough. Anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. Oh, actually, I know. Uh, it was last week. We re- we, spe- we had a special section after the credits to uh, read mm. reviews. It's now up to date, so now I can just read out what reviews we have. Oh, excellent! Let's see. So let's read read reviews from Ooh. last week. So, um, first of all, was um, actually Elliot from like hey. because he because he typed it during the episode. Oh, that's it. Can I? I feel like I should do that. That's like <laughs> no. cheating. No, it's not. It's like it's literally because I I decided to start reading them, and he was just like, "Oh shit, I should, I should like, do one." It's honestly fine. I don't force anyone to do them i'm just like if you want to you can oh, want to get oh, i do like i am very grateful when people do but i was like but yeah so thanks shout out thanks earlier for that oh yeah he and he wrote awesome podcast amazing podcast hooked since episode one keep it the good work hey thanks elliot uh, and then we have history guys bump which is also a podcast yeah and they, they wrote creepily good 
I love creepy stuff, and this podcast fits the bill. I quickly binged every episode, and I thoroughly uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed the way that the details have been shared. Uh, the podcast name caught my attention, but Akshay is what held it. Keep up the great work. Hey, that's nice. <laughs> I I actually had an audible. Oh, like, that's so sweet. I, I was sitting in my my room by myself, and I actually and I still had an audible. Oh, I was like. <laughs> I was like, my heart can't take this shit, guys. <laughs> um, then we have um, Jam Bells, who is from the Bottomless Pit podcast, who is also part of the Britpod scene mm-hmm. um, group. And he wrote, gruesome, gory, dot, 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 dot. Great. <laughs> I really enjoyed listening to the tales told in their full gruesome glory. The stories have, clear- have clearly been well researched, and in the way they're told, make- really make for a good listen. James, the Bottomless Pit podcast. Nice. So thank you so much for your reviews, guys. Um, hopefully, I'll keep our own to keep on top of them. Mm. I promise nothing as usual. <laughs> so anyway, thank you for listening. I will see you next Tuesday. Tell your friends. Ba da ba da ba.